has been quite the week, and I am recording this at 8 p.m. on Wednesday night because time got away from me. So much going on, but we are here and we made it. I am going to start doing a little intro in the podcast where I talk about any updates and a quick recap on whatever is going on and or things I am loving and want to share with you all. So what happened this past week? So Cam and I used Valentine's Day as an excuse to go to our favorite pizza place last Wednesday. We didn't go on Tuesday because I had a late work meeting and also feel like on the day of actual Valentine's Day, the restaurants are kind of cheesy. Um, So for as long as I've wanted really ever, I've wanted to be a regular somewhere and just have never been able to commit like wanting to go to different restaurants all the time. But I can finally say that Cam and I are regulars at Bufalina in Austin and it truly is the best one because we love Neapolitan pizza in general. But two, we know one of the bartenders there and have established a relationship and I just like love it so much because we wave and talk and it's so fun. Uh, On Friday, we started a full swing and are obsessed. Cam is a huge golfer growing up playing junior golf since he was like eight and now plays probably three out of four weekends in Austin and is involved in golf for his job. And I grew up in a decently big golf household and know the game well and just like love these types of sports documentaries similar to the Michael Jordan one, which name is escaping me. Anyway, we are almost done. And it's been able to distract me from Game of Thrones for a bit because we were moving through that way too fast. On personal to-dos, had another big personal to-dos weekend, which I feel like is every is going to be every weekend up until our wedding in mid-April. But we did real adult things like open a joint bank account and got Cam's wedding ring and now are figuring out the whole joint finances thing. So Cam and I talked a lot about combining finances and how we wanted to do it and what we felt like would work and ultimately decided on combining everything. It's definitely a personal preference for everyone, but I am excited to feel a bit more like one unit on all of our decisions and not cash apping each other each week. By the way, you need to use cash app if you're not. If you're using Venmo, you are lame. Uh, Sunday, Cam and I went to dinner with Susie. And if you haven't listened to the podcast episode with Susie, you definitely need to. Um, We went to De Nada, which is a Mexican restaurant in Austin that Cam is obsessed with and has been wanting to take me forever. And I knew the margaritas were supposed to be some of the best in Austin and was really excited to try one. And let me tell you, it was amazing. But I literally told Cam when I ordered it that it better not mess me up tomorrow. It was like 6 p.m. and I was having one, so didn't think too much about it. But I shared more of the sun stories, but I... I just honestly hadn't felt that bad in a while after that. I woke up at like 1 a.m. and couldn't fall asleep until like 4 a.m., canceled my workout class because I knew I was going to be dead tired, and I was just so mad at myself, mad because the whole weekend I was feeling so great, like sleeping 9 to 10 hours, eating healthy, and just on Monday I woke up feeling like absolute garbage. And I had a big podcast day, which I'm trying to do really any chance I can, where I was recording three podcasts with really cool guests. And I was like, wow, now I'm going to feel like shit and be dead tired. And you know what? I, I slept a bit or I slept in a bit because I knew, I just knew that's what my body needed. I walked out of the gym because I wanted to work out. I showed up and I made myself a smoothie. I had some coffee and really just started to move on with my day. But like I felt anger, like legit anger at myself. And then remembered it was one margarita and I'm fine and I'm feeling better now and I had that feeling when I woke up and I'm going to remember that and you know slowly throughout the day I started to feel better because I was podcasting and connecting with people and did some self-care getting my eyebrows done and then that night I made my favorite dinner and had a glass of Studio Knowles who we're talking to today uh, Blanc Burgunder which I'm absolutely obsessed with and I just moved on and I had so many messages from people telling me how much they resonate but also telling me to give myself grace and it was it was really validating and I think in those moments where we can be down on ourselves, we have to remind ourselves of that. We're not bad people and we can remember how we feel, uh, but it's too much to just let it consume our days. So this week has been crazy for me work-wise and well, because I have one of my biggest work deliverables of the quarter today and the next week I'm going on my bachelorette, which I cannot believe is already here. So 
going to wrap that up and let's get into this week's episode. I am so excited to be talking about non-alcoholic wine and talking to one of my favorite brands, Studio Null. So Dorothy Manholland and Catherine Diao were laser focused on what they wanted in a non-alcoholic wine and what they would want instead of focusing on what was wrong with the current selections, which I thought was really interesting. Dorothy and Catherine are longtime friends meeting freshman year at Wisconsin. They always knew that they wanted to start a business, but didn't know what to do, and they didn't want to make something unnecessary in the world, which I can appreciate. Both of them love wine, but because they're usually the last people at the party, they wanted to find an option for times they didn't want to drink alcohol, something elevated that paired with well with food and friends, and more importantly, they wanted something that was not going to affect them the next day, and thus, Studio Null was born. They started the business a few years ago and are currently by Coastal co-founders. In this episode, we talked to Dorothy and we discuss a lot. So let me tell you a little bit about it. We talked about the idea behind Studio Null and the vision of what they wanted non-alcoholic wines to be in the future with a focus on high quality and transparency and sourcing why Dorothy and Catherine wanted to work together to start a business and admired each other's work ethic, and how their friendship has gone from something great and strong to something even more meaningful, how they've taken a thoughtful approach to entrepreneurship and wanting to build something that the world actually needs, what de-alcoholizing wine really means and what sets them apart from the competition, how Studio Null likes to release wine and how they think about different vintages, why it's more expensive to make non-alcoholic wine, which contributes to the higher price point. And lastly, Studio Null's focus on accessibility and bringing more diversity to the wine world and why their marketing focuses on non-alcoholic as an all-year-round concept and not seasonal like Dry January. So with that, let's get into the episode. Dorothy, every single person I know wants to know about non-alcoholic wine. They are very, very curious, and Studio Null is one of my favorite non-alcoholic wine brands. So let's just start off with first, how did you think of this idea? Are you um, someone who does not drink and was looking for a non-alcoholic wine option because you love wine? Give us the the background on why you and Catherine decided to start Studio Null. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks so much for having me and thanks for the kind words. Super pumped to hear that you're a fan. Um Yes, Catherine and I have known each other a long time. We met in college, um, and I think for a long time have known we wanted to do something together. Um, we both, um, I think, wouldn't sort of categorize our drinking in one direction or the other. We sometimes drink alcohol, sometimes don't. Um, I think something that she and I connected over a long time ago in college and, you know, throughout adulthood have kind of joked around about, but it's true is, um, we are sort of the last two people at any party. We have a lot of FOMO when it comes to leaving the party when it's just getting going. And I think for a long time, um, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't an issue, but I think as we've gotten older, we've both recognized that we'd love to kind of continue being there, being with our friends, being part of the social moment, um, but alcohol wasn't best serving what we wanted to get up to the next day. Um, And so I think that coupled with um, some time we've spent, you know, in Europe um, and seeing how far along the non-alcoholic space was a few years ago in Europe, we kind of thought, surely it's going to happen in the U.S., Um, Waited, didn't see a really amazing non-alcoholic wine option um, that we would personally be excited about. And so we thought, you know, this might be this might be the thing we want to work on together. So that's kind of how we got into it. I, um, We are both people who sometimes still drink alcohol and other times are yeah. really pleased that this category has just exploded the way it has. Um, and, you know, every day it feels like there's something new and exciting to to try, which we really love. Right. And in terms of just actually starting out on the product, walk me through from inception of the idea until first actual bottle to market. What type of research went into that? Were you looking at the entire non-alcoholic space and trying all these different wines and gathering that there wasn't an option out there for you and looking at 
where they source their grapes and the branding. Um, talk to me about exactly what you went through from a product development standpoint and how you really sought out quality and design because the bottles are beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think Catherine and I both have kind of this ethos of eyes on your own paper. I think it's important to know what's happening in the space and, um, you know, what folks are looking for and what maybe is missing. But um, when we started out in this journey together, we, I think we're just really laser focused on what we would want um, and less about what we're not happy with currently. Um, I think as you would expect in kind of traditional wine, there are so many options. And I think that we are excited about a future in which you walk into a wine store and there's a whole section with a million different non-alcoholic wine options for every taste, every profile, every price point. Um, and so I think that was kind of how we started when we were thinking about um, creating Studio Null was less about what's missing and more about just if we were walking into that store in the future, what would be that segment of the shelf that we'd be looking for. Um, and I think really above all else, it was quality sourcing, transparency in sourcing. Um, I think we're both really exploratory when it comes to varietals and provenance. We're open to great tasting wines coming from regions that maybe we aren't even familiar with or varietals um, that we haven't tried a lot of. Um, but if it tastes really great and is presented in a thoughtful way, um, that's kind of the the golden ticket for us. And so when you you know, first sought out this quality and you said, you know, exploring Europe and, and I'm sure seeing the, the vineyards there, uh, seeing the non-alcoholic options there. Did you go to actual vineyards that sell normal wine and say, can we use your grapes? Or like, what was that process like? Because I, your first two vintages, I believe Germany and Spain Mm -hmm. were where you got the grapes. So just talk to me about like, actually going and getting the grapes. What was that experience like? Yeah, so we were really lucky when we first kind of started out. We had some great partners in Europe um, that had some network in the wine industry. I'll say both Catherine and I don't come from a wine, a traditional wine background. And so that was something that um, we had to lean on our relationships for to begin with. Um, And so we were really lucky to have some partners that um, kind of, had some interesting winemaking friends and partners that were interested in a little bit of a, a rodeo with us, the first rodeo in terms of non-alcoholic and how that fits into a more traditional wine industry. As co-founders, how did you know you could go into this together starting as friends before and, and knowing each other's background and personalities and how you split responsibilities. would love to know a little bit more about your working relationship, um, how it started and how it's kind of grown. Yeah. Catherine and I, as I mentioned, have known each other for a long time. We met on our freshman year dorm floor. Um, and <laughs> so we've both kind of, I think for a really long time, admired one another's professions and careers and also like our aspirations personally. I think we've both um, had a lot of respect for one another and that was kind of the starting starting point for sure. Um, I will say we align in terms of a lot of our values, but our personalities are, I don't want to say complete opposite, but we are total um, counterpoints or foils to one another. And I think both from our experience, but also how we approach things, um, that has been extremely, extremely beneficial for our business. Um, It has also been really great for our friendship. I would say that working together, and I know this isn't um, the case for everyone who starts a a business with their friend, but our friendship has um, gone from something really great and strong to like, just an even more amazing level. So I'm really grateful that it's been working out this way. Um, You know, we, I 
think toyed around with a lot of ideas um, and maybe this is uh, what has been the thing that helped make it click this time around is we've, we've played around with a lot of ideas. I think for a long time we've known we wanted to work on something together and we didn't just jump at the first idea. Um, we really have been thoughtful about it and um, kind of our overarching feeling about things is don't add, uh, sorry for the word, don't add crap to the world. Um, no unnecessary crap. And so, you know, we had a lot of ideas that kind of felt like interesting, could be fun to work on together. I don't know that it's net positive, something that the world needs. And so we kicked it around and sat with it for a long enough time that when this idea hit and the timing and where we both were personally and professionally, everything was aligned and clicked. And so um, that has been I think really important in going into business with a friend. Um, and it's also been extremely supportive in terms of how we've approached running this business. I think um, because we have totally different skill sets and different backgrounds, it could have been really easy to split up the responsibilities. Um, we haven't done that so far. We've been um, really, thoughtful and sustainable in our growth. We haven't just um, kind of grown for the sake of growing. And that's allowed us both to be involved in most parts of the business. And I think that's been great. There are areas that are uncomfortable for me, areas that mm -hmm. maybe are uncomfortable for Catherine, but um, that's allowed us both to really understand the nuts and bolts of every aspect of what we're doing. There's right. definitely going to be a point at which we need to split things up. And I think we we have almost hit that, if not already. Um, but I think that's been also a huge part of, you know, I understand completely where she's coming from and vice versa. Yeah, I think that's really unique in a friendship to co-founder level. And how, I mean, when I've talked to you, you have been so purposeful on your growth. You're not doing things that will and potentially hurt the business longer term because you're just trying to scale. You're being very thoughtful in a lot of your decisions, which I want to get into. But you said something about, you know, when you, when you went into, or as you, you know, blossomed your friendship with Catherine, you really knew that you had the same values. And from what you just said, it seemed like you knew you wanted to do a business. It wasn't that you both had the idea for no lines. It was that you had an idea for going into business together. And this was the idea that really took off and you felt a lot of purpose behind. And so when you think about values as two co-founders, what types of values did you want to have with each other to know that you would make it work? Yeah, I think um, coming back to this concept of sustainable growth and um, net positive kind of add to the world. That is, I think, ultimately something that has been important to both of us in our careers up until this point. And also personally, I think we both um, recognize that, you know, accumulation of stuff and um, consumption for the sake of consumption is not it for us. And so seeing that reflected in one another, and I think we've both pushed each other to think about it in different and new ways um, and to kind of understand our own feelings on it has really helped us as we're thinking about how we want to operate as a business, that thoughtful kind of non-chasing non scale for the sake of scale, like you mentioned. Um, and so knowing from the very outset that there are certain um, kind of things that we stand for and pillars that we personally feel strongly about. It was, it's been incredibly easy to infuse that into the business because there's really never been a time. I mean, we're always playing devil's advocate because I think that's important, but um, there's never really been a time when one of us has had to convince the other of something that we really like profoundly stand for, um, which yeah. I think has been really important. So the term de-alcoholized wine or non-alcoholic wine that goes through the 
dealcoholization process. I don't even know if that's a it's word. It's a total tongue twister. Um, yep. <laughs> but I I see this word with all non-alcoholic wines, and I get asked very frequently, "How do you just strip out the alcohol of wine? Isn't it just grape juice?" Um, get pushback there a lot, which I'm sure you've had to do a decent amount of education on, but. This process is what a lot of the non-alcoholic wine makers are doing or brands are doing, but what can set you apart during this process? And if you can get granular to our audience and in terms of how this actually works and how you feel differentiated, I think that would be really helpful and how you're able to keep some of those elements of the wine and aromas and taste profiles and complexity, um, even though you're stripping away most of the alcohol in it. Yeah, it's a great question. It's one that I think um, anyone who's in the non-alcoholic wine space has definitely been asked. And um, there are different methods of removing alcohol from fermented wine. There's also a category of, um, I guess, wine replacements, which may be layers of juices and teas and other flavors um, that kind of start from ground zero and build up to some kind of complex profile that has a mouthfeel that might replicate the experience of drinking wine. And there's some really great options out there. Um, that's a little bit different because they don't start with something and then have to remove ingredients. Um, so then if you get really specific about de-alcoholized wine, um, so you're taking fully fermented wine, wine that's gone through the complete winemaking process. You could bottle it and sell it as a wine full stop. Um, there are a few different ways that you can remove the alcohol, alcohol from the wine. Um, the way that we have had the most success with at Studio Null that we feel really confident about is called vacuum distillation. It's essentially um, applying a, a pressurized force that allows you to raise the temperature of the wine to a threshold that basically evaporates off the alcohol. The alcohol loss also results in some loss of aroma and flavor. And so part of the vacuum distillation process is actually trapping those aromas and flavors and then reintegrating them with the body of liquid that no longer has alcohol in it. Um, you know, traditional wine has, you know, can upwards of 16% of that volume is alcohol. And so, of course, when you're removing 16% of anything, it fundamentally changes the wine or the liquid. So, you know, there's some loss of body, there's some loss of flavor and aroma, but the technology is getting more and more refined. And there's a lot that happens on the, I would say, um, wine selection, and then also on the finishing. Once it's gone through that dealkalization process, that can ensure, you know, quality in, quality out. Um, but that's essentially what's happening in our dealkalization process. Again, there are other methods that are used, and I think something that is pretty surprising um, for most people who uh, drink wine or had wine in the past. Um, is that this process is actually not totally new. It actually exists in traditional winemaking. A lot of times wines come in um, what is called, called, quote unquote, too hot, meaning the ABV, the alcohol level is too high. And so they want to bring it down one or two percentage mm -hmm. points. And so they actually mm -hmm. use these different dealkalization methods just to reduce alcohol a little bit. Um, Got it. And so... It feels a little bit Frankenstein-y, but it's actually happening a lot more often than one would expect. What's new is the, I think, proliferation of bringing it all the way down to below 0.5% and kind of figuring out the refining process to make sure that then it's a really complex um, textural aromatic wine without the alcohol. And I'm assuming that the reason why people say that non-alcoholic wine compared to wine, the real thing, is the hardest to replicate or taste is because of that 
amount of alcohol in the drink and you're drinking it on its own, right? Like a beer, you know, is typically between four to eight percent if you're having like a really strong ABV or a really strong beer, the ABV is is much higher. Mm -hmm. You're bringing that down, but you're only bringing it down, you know, four to eight percent where I think wine is usually between like, I don't know, 13 to 15 ish percent maybe. And so you're drinking that on its own. Obviously, it's going to taste very different because the alcohol is giving it a sense of taste and complexity. And then when you think about mocktails, um, mocktails have a lot more elements than just drinking actual liquor on the rocks, right? If you had a seed lip or liars on the rocks, it would taste very, very different, but mixed in a mocktail, it's actually okay because you have other elements. Um, and so wanted to confirm that is why youth or why some consumers may think that it's really hard to replicate a similar profile. Although I do think that you guys are best in the business in terms of trying to replicate that. Yeah, totally. I think you put the nail, you hit, what is that term? You hit the nail on the head with that (laughs) one. Um, Yeah, I think um, there are a few things at play there. Certainly that's a factor. I think also folks have um, really strong preferences when it comes to wine. There's a lot of emotionality involved Mm. in provenance, in varietal, in vintage even. Um, And so there are a lot of really strong feelings and expectations around what a Sonoma 2019 Pinot Noir is going to taste like. Um, Whereas I think with some of the other categories where there's more mixology, it's a little bit more this bartender's take on such and such profile, you know? Um, So I think there's expectation, there's emotionality, there's technology, all of that kind of the confluence of it um, ends up in, I think, maybe a little bit of skepticism around non-alcoholic wine. Um, But I think both Catherine and I are really excited about where this specific category within the category is headed. There's just constant improvement. And I think the more the merrier and we're all kind of pushing one another to get even closer and closer. And yeah, yeah, we're really excited to be able to just um, pop open a bottle, pour a glass and be able to kind of go about our evening as we were. Yeah, it's so good. I I had the sparkling Verdejo last night and I made a few mocktails with it as well. So I'm excited to showcase some of those that where it's using the sparkling wine is like a add-in to top off some mocktails which I think is pretty fun yeah I'll be excited to see your recipe (laughs) and give it a try well I'd like you to to talk to the audience about your approach to releasing wine uh so we've kind of been depending on the specific what we're trying to convey we use both of those words so vintage is really about the year the harvest year that the grapes were from some of our bottles are vintages so You can see on the back of our label, we'll say this was a 2021, et cetera. Some of our um, wines are blends, so different harvest years. And so they're called kind of envy or non-vintage. Okay. So that's kind of that term that we use. And then release is kind of the the bucket that we've been, um, or the, the concept that we've been using for Um, What we've done with our first few releases is a little bit more limited, smaller runs. And that's really been to reflect like we're sourcing really high quality um, wines. And this isn't really a formulaic approach to non-alcoholic winemaking or winemaking period because it's coming from a real place and it was made by real people and um, we're not sort of putting a lot of additives in afterwards to achieve a certain taste and having that consistent year over year over year. We're kind of looking at them as releases that have a little bit more limited availability. That said, you know, we understand folks are going to have their favorites and be disappointed if they can't find that again. And so while our first few releases were a little bit more experimental, I think going forward, we'll be excited to find some profiles at least that we can always have around. And the vintage might be different, the 
bottle artwork might be different, where it's coming from might be different, but for someone who really loved such and such release from Studio Null, hopefully they'll be really excited about what else we have to offer once we get into a little bit more of a cadence. You guys need like a wine subscription wine club so that people can just get the the new releases. But actually, in all seriousness, I need the Blanc Burgunder back in my life. So um, I love that one. And I'd love something similar to come back. Talk to us about the feedback so far. For if the audience doesn't know, the first release was a Blanc Burgunder. So yeah. like mm-hmm. a more simple white, a rosé, I believe. And then a mm-hmm. red. And then this most recent release was a sparkling white and a red as well. Talk to us about what the feedback has been from folks in terms of what they liked, what they haven't liked, why you decided in the second release to do the sparkling white and the red. And specifically, and out of my own curiosity, would really be interested in feedback on the reds because, as you probably hear, this is the one that people crave the most but also are the most critical of as well in terms of the non-alcoholic space. Yeah, so I'll say that one thing that we suspected and have really found to be true as we've launched Studio Null into the world is taste is really subjective. I think it's determined by so many things. And so what we thought would be favorites were favorites and then something else kind of pulled out in front. And we've heard Basically, I don't want to say it's been even across all of the wines that we've launched, but all five of the releases that we've had so far have had folks saying, this is my favorite. And so while it's really exciting and we're really happy to hear that, it also has made it hard for us to be like, all right, this is the one that we've got to have. We've got our Blanc fans, we've got our Prickly Red fans. But with the, so with our first release of three wines, it was the Prickly Red, which was kind of a lightly carbonic red. Blanc Burgunder, still white, and a sparkling rosé. And with that, we kind of just wanted to set the stage with a really wide range of offerings. So um, I think it's been really important that people can try different types of non-alcoholic wine. And rather than just say, this one's not for me, therefore non-alcoholic wine is not for me, being able to try a bunch of different things and they find that they have a favorite and one they really are reaching for. So that was kind of our thinking behind the first release. And then with the second release, we wanted to have a still and have a sparkling. And I think we were just really excited about these ones that we tried. And so that was why we selected Solo Garnacha and Sparkling Verdeo. Red in particular, I think that's definitely been the most polarizing, but also the one that folks yeah. have been the most excited about, Studio Null's offerings. Um, we're really excited that people have found a red that they love and want to order on repeat. You're totally right. I think, again, back to what I was saying before about maybe why people have some feelings about non-alcoholic wine with non-alcoholic red in particular, I think people have favorites and expectations about what red wine is going to be and really specific preferences and types. And so that is part of what's at play you know if someone loves a big italian red non-alcoholic red wine is not going to be that exactly but i think if people are looking for a non-alcoholic red and have tried a lot generally we've found that people who are looking for it have been really excited with both our prickly red which is now sold out and solo garnacha which is our latest release and we've been really excited about the evolution even just from prickly red to solo garnacha and i think there are people who preferred prickly red but there are equivalent number of people who prefer solo garnacha and that's just the nature of taste preference yeah um you know so that's been really fun and interesting and loving hearing what people think each time people are have such subjective tastes on regular wine that of course in non-alcoholic wine it's going to be the same thing like someone may like love one pinot and some people may hate chardonnay and it really depends but the fact that you're able to bring so many different types at least for me is that I can automatically say to someone go to studio null and I don't have to specify which one to go to because each one that I've tried I've really enjoyed and it's more in my opinion it's more a 
shows just like the quality and time that you've really spent and put into it versus pumping out cases and cases of something that you're just trying to market and capitalize on this opportunity, but isn't actually that good and and get the distribution, which kind of segues into what I want to get into more on where you're looking to iterate more and, and where you're looking to improve. And one of the questions that I get asked the most frequently is where to buy a lot of these non-alcoholic brands that I love. And I usually have to point them to online. And I know it's getting more and more uh, the case that you're finding smaller curated stores and, and some of the bigger Total Wines carrying up some of these brands. Um, but would love to hear where you're focused on generally for the business, but then also distribution wise, if you're first looking to get into restaurants or first looking to get into retailers, but what's the goal for expanding the brand beyond D to C? Yeah. So we are really excited to kind of be split at the moment in terms of where folks are finding Studio Null and how they're hearing about Studio Null. I think to begin with, our goal was just to kind of find the audience that was looking actively for non-alcoholic wine and then also start expanding for people who maybe didn't know it was an option but are happy to have found it now that they know it's there. I think like any stool, you need to have a couple of different pegs just from a total business practicality standpoint. We can't rely on any one channel to be it because I think different people have different shopping preferences and we definitely want to be in places where where they're looking for non-alcoholic options and where they kind of have a trusted source that can tell them just as you would go to a wine shop and be able to speak with an expert about different years and vintages and what you might like if you love Montepulciano, you know, what offering here might you like. I think having people who really have a perspective and an opinion um, talking about our wines is really helpful. And that said, I think we're pretty excited in these next few years to kind of build our D2C brand um, and continue to be in a lot of different channels because I think we have avoided really targeting one specific audience because I think non-alcoholic and the category and non-alcoholic wine specifically is for a lot of different types of people. And so we want to be accessible to a lot of different, a lot of different folks and their shopping preferences, whether it's the grocery store where you pick up your normal bottle of wine and now you want to supplement that with non-alcoholic or if you're going to NA bottle shops only and that's really your source of truth on that or if you're like you said a wine club fan and you kind of want to set it and forget it and know you'll always have a bottle of your favorite Blanc Burgunder on hand I think we want to make sure that we're available to as many people as possible in that way and education is super important in that we're finding you know the question, of course, always comes up, what is non-alcoholic wine? And so being able to speak to that and help folks choose the right wine for them so that they're not trying it, deciding the whole category is not for them and giving up on it um, is really important. I think not just for us, but for everyone in the space. On the education piece, do you feel as though, not that you have to be defensive, but that there is a bigger part of education because your price point is... A little bit higher and you know for me I'm my view on all of this is I am willing to pay for quality and that's the same thing for a mocktail if it's priced similar similarly to a cocktail at a restaurant but the craftsmanship that's going into the drink is very very high quality that's what I feel like I'm I'm paying for right and so um, just because when I look at the market null is one of the more expensive price points and I do hear from my followers that uh, it feels expensive for them. It feels expensive for something that doesn't have alcohol. So I'd love to hear how you articulate that to folks who may question it. Yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting one because I think um, there is the psychology is there um, around like the absence of something, meaning it should be a less expensive product and in the process of making non-alcoholic wine particularly de-alkalized non-alcoholic wine 
it's actually going through an extra step. So it's more expensive for us to make the same um, origin wine in a non-alcoholic version than it would be if we just stopped, bottled it, and sold it as an alcoholic wine. So we're starting with really, really high quality wines. And the reality is that taking it through that extra step is a cost. And so we have to kind of reflect that in, in the price of our bottle. And I think it's important to Catherine and I that we find a way to be accessible to as many people as possible because we really don't want folks who have a desire to try it to not be able to get their foot in the door with non-alcoholic wine or the non-alcoholic non category in general. So that's something that we're definitely thinking about and trying to find a way to do in a way that still reflects that super high quality, quality in, quality out kind of standard that we have and feels tasteful and crafted and artful and like something you would be really excited to have at your table. And so, yeah, I think the education is important on that. I think most folks who are really looking for non-alcoholic and who have been able to try it are sold because of the taste. But I understand that, especially if you haven't tried non-alcoholic, this might not be the first bottle that you buy because the price point is higher and you, you need to just sort of build up an understanding and trust in non-alcoholic wine before you can kind of jump into that, that price point. So I totally yeah. get that. Yeah, I had a, a dinner party and I like to have Noel there so people can try it so that they can see the world of non-alcoholic wine and get into that like first foray without, without actually having to necessarily like buy a couple of bottles online, which I think is really fun. When I launched my brand, I had a photo shoot done in my apartment and Noel is in all of my photos. So um, nice. I love, the, love that. <laughs> I love the branding on it. In terms of you said your marketing message is really focused on accessibility, which I love because I am very similar in the sense that I, I want to be able to have different options available and I want to be able to incorporate a lot of non-alcoholic options because of various reasons, whether that's not wanting to hang over the next day or not wanting to feel too intoxicated in a certain night and kind of have more of that clarity or health reasons or whatever the reason is. How do you message that to consumers? Because I think for a brand in particular, it it really makes a difference how you are voicing your product and your brand and your messaging to that audience. And I'm, I'm sure you've done a lot of research and uh, have talked a lot about how you want your materials and how you want your brand to come across. So would love to hear more on how you established that voice as a brand and how you feel as though you're articulating what NULL stands for through your branding as well. I think one thing we're not here to do is tell people they should feel guilty about drinking or like the reasons why they shouldn't be drinking. I think we are both not into sort of labeling who this is and is not for. We are for anyone who wants a great glass of wine and for whatever reason isn't interested in having the alcohol. Um, I think at, we're it's dry January, so let's take that as an example. We really haven't leaned heavily into dry January marketing, which maybe feels a little bit weird for a non-alcoholic brand to not be talking about dry January. And I think there are a ton of reasons why dry January is great. And if it's supportive for people, that's awesome. But I think like kind of as everyone zigs, we zag a little bit. I think we see non-alcoholic not as a seasonal concept, but as an all year round concept, there are times when people are cutting out alcohol. There are times when people are just drinking less. There are times when people want to participate in sort of a global concept of like, we're starting out the new year. We're going to take a year off from, I mean, a month off from drinking. Um, and we're, we're excited for anyone who wants to explore it in any way. And so that's kind of the way we've approached it, which is almost a non 
a non-approach, but I think because of that, we've found that there are infinite reasons why people are choosing to drink or not drink at any given time. And so we're just here to provide optionality and kind of be supportive of the awesome things that one can do and have access to when drinking a great glass of wine and sort of aren't going to virtue signal or make you feel guilty about what you're not achieving when you are drinking alcohol or like, you know, you're going to feel so horrible. Like that's, that's not our place to, to market heavily on, I think. No, I, I completely agree with everything that you said. And as someone who got into the non-alcoholic space about a year and a half ago I'm really interested in how much it's changed and the terminology that I'm seeing come up like sober October had never heard that before and saw it this past year and and personally don't resonate with the concept of going an entire month without drinking so then I can drink a lot during the holidays so then I can cut back and start fresh on a new year and this like restrict and binge cycle that it's mm-hmm. almost somewhat promoting from the marketing that that goes into it and I, I very much resonate with the idea of having non-alcoholic options for anyone at any time of year and it just also being a, a place that you can lean into when you're feeling it and, and when you're not that's okay too and a, uh, not not caring what other people are doing and not being judgmental about it and so I think I think that's really important for your brand too and and what you're trying to promote and really love how you guys are are approaching it. Yeah, and I mean, I would kind of throw it back to you too as someone who obviously loves hosting and like has personally explored non-alcoholic options. I'm, you know, curious to hear how over the last few years you've seen that change even just as a host and as someone who's having people over or like hosting gatherings, I would imagine that where you had non-alcoholic, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but where you had non-alcoholic options before and people could seek it out. Now it's almost like people want non-alcoholic options. Yes. It's uh, it's actually really interesting. I had, I would have probably talked about this on every single podcast, but I, uh, that I've recorded in the past like week and a half, but we had a, (laughs) playoff party a NFL playoff party about a week or so ago and I kind of forgot it was dry January but I always serve non-alcoholic options anyway and had this nice bucket that I got on my registry from Crate and Barrel and all the non-alcoholic options were like front and center in this kind of ice bucket and then there was a separate cooler where people who brought their beers were going to go store their beers but I had in there I had some non-alcoholic wine it was more kind of the canned options I had some Little Saints and Dessois and Athletic Brewing and everyone asked oh my gosh what is this what is this tell me more about what this is oh can I try that and I have obviously a lot of product and so I'm actually really enjoy when people are taking and using it so that I can inspire other people to to try it and learn what it's all about because they probably haven't had it before and having the conversation more and more and I'm noticing even when I'm going out people look at me and they're like oh you know you can get a a a mocktail or you can get that not you can get that cocktail without alcohol like oh I'll have one of those too and so that makes me really happy just because it feels as though if I didn't do it that person wouldn't have you know thought of doing that or maybe wouldn't have had the confidence and it gets me excited that people are also excited about these types of options and they're seeing that it's becoming more accessible and they're seeing that there's actually good brands just because as you've probably seen there can be a lot of bad raps around um, the term mocktail in general or the term non-alcoholic wine because of sugary mocktails or sugary and too sweet you know wines and so Mm -hmm. I'm I'm loving hearing the feedback from people on some of my favorite brands and then them texting me about having a mocktail tonight or I, I just bought null and that like makes me super happy. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's like crucial. I mean, like you nailed it with as a host, if you can like host a great event and then also let people leave with 
something that they're excited to like yeah. explore no, further. It's, That's it's awesome. Really fun. So I want to end on you telling us just about your current business goals. Cause I, I know you guys are together right now for those who don't know, uh, Dorothy and Catherine are bi-coastal and so they're in the same place right now getting to do some business stuff together, but um, would love to hear what we can, you know, expect from you or what your current business goals are and what you're most excited about. This year, we're super excited to come out with some more options, hopefully um, some profiles that uh, Studio Null fans will be pleased about, um, but also things that will continue to inspire and, and excite folks who are looking to kind of expand their NA portfolio. That's really exciting. I think just continuing to find channels where folks who are looking for great non-alcoholic options can find us more easily. That's super important. And I think also this year, we're really excited to kind of harden some of our sustainability and long-term growth goals. And, you know, shipping glass bottles of liquid around the world isn't the most, uh, efficient thing. And so we're really looking for ways that we can take that no added crap to the world ethos and apply it to our business model as well. So um, those are things that we're thinking about on a really tactical, but also just big, big scheme kind of way. Yeah. So I think this year is going to be really exciting and fun across the category. I'm excited. I'm excited to try more of your releases and host some more parties with it. So tell us where everyone can find Null Wines before we leave this. Yeah. So nullwines.com, we deliver everywhere in the U.S. And also all of our social media handles at Null Wines. I think Instagram's probably our most active spot, although as an aging millennial, I'd love to learn how to use TikTok this year. It's a big personal goal of mine uh yeah but no wines across the board that's best perfect and everyone go try out their wines because they are absolutely delicious i love them so much thank you so much to everyone for listening as you know i am not a specialist and i'm not trained to give advice whatsoever these are just my own personal thoughts and conversations if you haven't already please subscribe and rate and review the show if you can it helps so so much and feel free to find me on social channels, host by Tori. See ya!